0: Hi, this is John Ozanting, lead pastor of Evolved Church, and this is the Evolved Church Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope that you find today's message encouraging and full of hope for wherever you're at. Just right off the top, just going to ask you to pay attention today. Because things are going to get hectic. It's going to get weird. You're all like, yeah, what else is new? Part three. Eating Bugs Equals Gross. Every, uh, the first two weeks in this series, we've asked a big question, presented a, a gigantic lie, and then we've, we've sought to answer that question and destroy that lie. As it comes to us discovering purpose, as it comes to us navigating life's bugs, we've talked about bugs being an analogy for the things that we experience that, that are difficult, hard, distasteful, gross, awkward, wicked, uh, we talked about bugs in two contexts. Number one, sometimes I've eaten bugs as a result of just the atmosphere that I live in. The analogy was riding your bike in a beautiful dusk, summer's evening. You know, just enjoying creation, singing at the top of your lungs with your mouth wide open, when all of a sudden, wham, mouth full of mosquitoes. Uh, anybody experienced that? Yeah, so we talked about eating bugs in the context. Sometimes we've eaten bugs just based on the fact that the world we live in has bugs in it. And and the analogy is we go through things that feel difficult, impossible, incredibly hard, uh, simply because we live on planet Earth and planet Earth is broken. The other kind of bugs uh, that I've eaten that we talked about in the first part of this series is is sometimes I've eaten bugs on purpose because I wanted to eat a bug. Um, And I showed a video of me eating a gigantic hornworm. Um, I know, you're like, some of you that are here for the very first time are like, Is there an exit that I could quietly sneak out of? Who's the dude that eats bugs? I ate a hornworm once. It was for a reason, but I chose to do it, and then I paid and suffered the consequences of eating that gigantic hornworm. Sometimes we eat bugs because we choose it. And when we make choices, every choice has a consequence. And so week one, the the big question that we asked was this. If you could always see the big picture, if you could always see the greater vision, the future outcome, what would you be willing to overcome? Week two, we asked this question. If you believe that what you currently have in your hand, what you currently have in your heart, in your pocket, in your tool belt, was more than enough, then what excuses would you quit making and how would you start living in your purpose today? If you actually believe that who I am, who God has created me to be, all that's within me, all that I've got in my heart, in my head, in my hands, in my pocket, if it's more than enough, how would I live my life? How would I... Stop making excuses and choose to live in my purpose. And big question number three today is, if you believe that absolutely nothing could separate you from the love of God, how quickly would you process the weight of failure and regret and choose to live in the light of grace? What if you actually believed the Bible that says there's nothing that can separate you from God's love? There's absolutely nothing that can remove you, disqualify you, distance you, or separate you from walking in the immensity of God's grace, of his love? What if you believed that? What if that was something that you owned and walked out of here today with a renewed sense of confidence that there's there's actually nothing, nothing from my past, nothing from my present that can disqualify me from experiencing the fullness of God's love? We're in good company today because every single person in this room is capable of living under the weight and the strain and the guilt and the pressure of stuff from our past and stuff from today. Call it regret, call it disappointment, call it whatever you want, but we're all capable of it. And from the youngest of us to the oldest of us, we've done it. We've fallen prey to this cloud of I wish I hadn't. I shoulda, I woulda, I coulda. We're all guilty of it. But here's the lie. Are you ready for this? The choices that I've made define me. That's the lie. The choices that I've made up till now, they define who I am. What I've done becomes what I do becomes who I am, and I just don't deserve any better. That's the lie. What I've done becomes what I do becomes who I am because I just don't deserve any better. That's the lie, and that's what we're going to blow some holes in today. Uh, about 11 years ago, I was working my dream job, loving every minute of it, and I, I waded into a season of believing some things that I thought I was smarter than I was, okay? Let's, let's call it what it is. I was a little bit prideful, and I got fired. Uh, for insubordination from my dream job. And I went into this meeting where I got canned, and my boss and a team of leaders, uh, they presented to me what they were sensing and feeling, and, and I knew it. And, um, and so I just, I owned it. I'm like, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's who I've become. This is how I got to this point. This is how I'm self-aware of where I'm at. And all I want to say is, would you forgive me? And they kind of looked around the room at each other, and it was just this hilarious, awkward moment that I will never forget because they're like, yes, we forgive you. And we want you to keep working here. So I got canned and rehired in the same meeting. And my rehiring, um, to put it in the simplest terms, the role that I got fired from, let's call it a leadership role. And the job that I was offered to keep working there was a... um, administrative role. So let's call it a demotion, okay? And um, in that season, I willingly, I willingly took that demotion, because this was my dream job, and I was kind of like, whatever it takes, I, I actually want to keep working here. But it was, it was an immense failure on my part, and what it did, it, it thrust me into a season where I was asked to just come under, surrender, submit, serve, however long it takes to develop and redevelop some trust and some track record. And a lot of people in my life in that season, they ask me questions like, how long is this season going to take, John?" How long is this season going to last? One year in, people were like, it seems unfair. It's been an entire year. Shouldn't you be given something back, and I just kept pushing back, going, look, wrong question, wrong question. The question isn't how long will this take. The question is how am I gonna stay humble, surrendered, submitted, how am I gonna keep pushing in? Two years in, people kept asking, when? John, John, this seems wrong. They were offended for me. They stopped supporting the, the workplace where I was working. They got offended. They they threw up their hands. They got mad for me. And I kept, don't get angry for me. I'm good. This is really hard. But I'm okay. Because I made the choices, and so I'm walking out the consequences. Three years in, three years later, slowly, it was like there was a switch. And things began to feel like they were settling and restoring. And I want to... I don't want to candy coat that because that was one of, one of the more difficult seasons that I've ever walked through. But a really good friend of mine uh, who randomly texted me early this morning, which is kind of funny because I texted him back. I'm like, I'm talking about you today. It's so weird. Um, his name is Russ. And within the first year of that season, Russ, Russ took me out for coffee and, and how are you and what's going on in your heart. And his his heart was to make sure that my heart was staying on the right path. And at the end of that meeting, Russ said some words to me that I have never forgotten and I will never forget because I've drawn from them in multiple seasons since. And he looked me in the eye and he put both hands on my shoulders and he said, Jono, no matter what, no matter what other people say, no matter what other people do, no matter what happens, you're only responsible for your response. You're only responsible for your response. And those words have served me so well over the years. They've served me in marriage. They've served me in parenting. They've served me in pastoral ministry. They've served me in loving my neighbors. You're only responsible for how you respond. Stay in your lane. Stay in your own lane. Let's look at the book of Galatians, uh, this first century letter. Uh, I'm going to start reading Uh, chapter 6, 10 verses, and then I want to share some thoughts with you from this. Here's what it says in Galatians chapter 6. If you brought a Bible along, uh, I'm reading from the message translation today. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a big screen behind me. They're going to put it up there if you want to read along. Here it goes. Here's what it says. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore them, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. I love that. The gift of one another. Share in each other's burdens. If you think you're too good for that, well, you are badly deceived. Verse 4, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Be very sure now, you who have been trained to a a self-sufficient maturity, that you enter into a generous, common life with those who have trained you. Again, I love that statement. We enter into a a common life in community with those who have trained you, sharing all the good things that you have and experience. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, will harvest a crop of weeds. All that they will have to show for this life is weeds. But one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up, if we don't quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let's work for the benefit of all starting with the people closest to us in our community of faith. If you believe that absolutely nothing could separate you from the love of God, how quickly would you process the weight, the failure, the regret, the guilt, the shame, and choose to live in light of God's grace? How quickly would you work through whatever bugs uh, you feel like have crept up from your present, from your past? How quickly would you work through that? Because the lie is this, the choices I have made up till now define who I am. What I've done becomes what I do, becomes who I am, and so I don't deserve any better. But that's a lie. What you've done in the past doesn't define who you are today and who you're becoming. The choices that you've made, the words that you've spoken, don't bring definition to your character, to your value, to your worth. It's just stuff that's happened. Maybe it's a choice that you've made. But it doesn't have to be who you are and who you're becoming. It's a lie. Grace is undeserved. Matter of fact, grace defined, we talk about the grace of Jesus and the grace of God. Grace defined is favor that we don't deserve. It's undeserved favor. That's why it's a good thing. I don't deserve it, and yet it's mine. Grace is Jesus saying, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. And yet... I give my life away. We sing this song some Sundays called Reckless Love. And, uh, and that's some of the lyric. You don't deserve it. You, don't, you couldn't earn it. And Jesus says, still, I give my life away. It's undeserved. So four thoughts from uh, Galatians 6. Number one, living in the light of grace means that I willingly surrender my life to the gift of one another. Living in the light of this undeserved favor means that I choose, I'm willing to surrender and submit my life to the gift of one another. Galatians 6.6, be very sure now that you've been trained to the self-sufficient maturity that you enter into this generous common life. One of the sports that I've come to love as a youth pastor over the years is dodgeball. Hands up if you love dodgeball. Matter of fact, stand up if you love dodgeball. Stand up in the room. Right? If I were to look around the room right now, if I were to look around the room right now and choose my dodgeball, my dodgeball dream team, who would I pick? Oh, I see all these hands going up. John, yeah, I'd pick you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm just looking at John. Yeah, I'd pick John for sure. I'd pick you. Now, a uh, young man in the back wearing the green t shirt in light of uh, St. Patrick's Day. I can't see your face because of the black bar. What's your name, little man? Somebody, Riley. Oh, you know, I would pick you based on your name alone. Do you know what the name Riley means? It means brave, it means valiant. And my son's name is Riley, that's how I know that. And just based on your name, I'd pick you for my team, it's just because you're, you're, you're called brave. And so I'm, I'm guessing you're going to crush it on the dodgeball court. I'm also going to pick you because you look like you're fast and you're, and you're a small target. So you're going to be hard to hit. And you're going to be dodging and ducking and diving and dipping and dodging all over the court. So I'm going to pick you. We're going to pick our dream team, Craig Powell. You're on my team, man. Want to know why? Look at the guns on that guy. I bet you could haul this ball faster than anybody else in the room. Come on, right? Um, Who are you going to pick to be on your dodgeball team? Who are you going to pick? What's the criteria? Don't leave me hanging. What's the criteria? Small people? Oh, fast hands. I like it. That's good. Who are you going to pick? Who are you going to pick? Oh, yeah. Fast, strong, agile, eyes open. Very good. I love that. Eyes open. Who are you going to pick? Fast, strong, agile. You're all like, please don't throw that ball at me. Who are you going to pick? Sit down. Sit down. Um, It's okay. Relax. Relax. Don't relax. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Who are you going to pick to be on your team? You know what I've discovered in life? I've discovered that when I want... When I want to talk to people about what I've gone through, about the choices I've made, do you know who I look to first? I look to people that have gone through the same thing. They've suffered the way I've suffered, so they're going to be able to relate to me. Do you, know, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, and, and this is going to sound like a dig, but it's like a support group. Um, I was laughing... There's kids in the room. I'm going to say it anyways. I was laughing with my sisters the other day because they were, they read this thing about a um, a support group for men that had been circumcised as as little boys. And in their adult life, they were mourning together. They were, they were, there's a support group because they didn't make this choice. It happened to them. And, and so all the reasons that they had listed why, and so... That sounded a little weird to me. But when, when, you're, when you're walking through a choice you've made and its subsequent coinciding consequences, do you look to people that are like, oh, can you empathize with me? Or do you look to people who are strong, who are fast, who are agile? I don't actually care whether you've walked in my shoes. I just want to know, are you going to point me to Jesus when I'm walking through what I'm walking through? Russ didn't experience what I experienced. He had faith to say, Jono, stay in your own lane. Run your own race. Be responsible for your own response. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. My first point today is living in the light of grace means that I willingly surrender my life to the gift of one another. The sin of isolation destroys us from experiencing the gift of isolation, or the gift of of one another. The sin of isolation wrecks us from experiencing the gift of one another. That's the other thing. If we're not looking for people who are going to cry with us and empathize with us, if we're not doing that, you know what we're doing? We're sitting at home by ourselves, sulking. I don't deserve friends. I don't deserve support. I don't deserve community. The, the, the sin, I'm going to call it that, the sin of isolation robs us from the gift of one another. Do you know that overcoming, overcoming the, the coinciding consequences of the choices we made, Overcoming happens best in the gift of one another. Overcoming happens greatest, fullest, strongest, fastest, agile. Who's on your team? If you're going to build your dream team, who's, who's on your team? Overcoming, whatever we're overcoming, happens best in the gift of one another. Not in isolation. Not surrounded by there, there. I know what you're feeling right now. And that sounds like I'm making fun of something. I'm not making fun. I'm just pointing you towards wisdom today. Surrendering our bugs, whatever we've eaten, our choices and consequences, these moments. Surrendering that to the gift of the right one another, the right people, the right team. It requires us to not give in to shame and embarrassment and a defeatist mindset. There is this... um, this thing floating around on Instagram this week uh, that I loved. And it was this thought. Religion says, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. Real faith says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. You know, the heart of God for you isn't isn't that one of a parent who's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're, you're going through this. God says, call me. And real people, real community, the real gift of one another says, call me. Call me. It's only religion. It's only man, humanity-based rules and regulations that says when you're walking through something, oh, man, they're going to kill me. But the heart of God says when you're walking through something, call me. The gift of one another. I was hanging out with some teenagers yesterday at a youth conference here in the city. And this little girl in grade 6, she said, O is God real? And I said, absolutely. She said, how do you know that? I said, because I see him in you. And her eyes went really big. And her friends looked at her like, that's kind of cool. And she says, can you tell me what you mean by that? And I said, I remember a youth pastor when I was in probably grade 9 or 10. We were talking about, is God real? And they gave me the analogy then of the wind. And you've probably heard this before. Like, I can't see the wind, but I can see the effects of the wind. And I can't physically see God, but I can sure see the effects of God in your life and in your life and in your life and through my life. I can see how God's loving and serving and actively involved in, in planet Earth through faith-filled people. And so I explained it to that way to this girl in grade six, and she's like, I like that. I said, every time you love one of your friends at school that's going through a hard time, every time you walk in honor with your parents at home, I see God in that. I see God, the effects of God working through your life. And we see that in one another, the gift of one another. And it's when we're walking through consequences that are difficult. It's when we're eating the bugs based on the choices that we've made, and we we fall prey to the sin of isolation that the gift of one another allows us to see the effects of God in our own life. Number two, living in the light of grace means that I choose to avoid the sin of comparison. Living in the undeserved favor. I'm, I'm walking through consequences of choices I've made. However, I choose to live in the light of God's undeserved favor by avoiding the sin of comparison. Galatians 6, 4, and 5, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given and sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with other people. Each of you has to take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Uh, Any parents in the room? There's some parents here. I know that for a fact. Um, Parents that have more than one child. Let's talk to you for a second, Okay. If you've got more than one child, or let's say you're a teenager in the room and you've got siblings, this will work too. Uh, I see some families in here with with more than one kid. Um, How does comparing work at home? Like when your parent walks up to you as a teenager and says, I like you, but could you be a little bit more like your older brother? You're laughing. Why are you laughing? Because that's stupid parenting. And we all know that. We all know in the context of family, when we pit our kids against each other in a comparison battle, it's a recipe for self-help down the road. It's a recipe for psychology and therapy. And I'm the youngest of four kids. And there's enough pressure being the youngest of four kids that I compare myself to my siblings. Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I as talented as? Add the pressure of parenting, and and if you're in a toxic home where you compare your kids one to another, and say words to your kids that say, you know what, if you could actually behave more like your older sister, I would love you more. Just saying that, you're like, that's sick. And yet we do that to ourselves in this lifetime. The heart of God, the Father, when we go, God, if I could be more like that, I think I'd be happier. If I could only have what that person, if I could only experience life through the lens of, if I was better than this and more like, and do, do we, what do we think God feels when we compare ourselves to other people? If in a natural, broken parenting paradigm, we go, oh, that's toxic and unhealthy, then it must certainly be toxic and unhealthy when we compare ourselves to other people under the weight of what we've walked through and what we've, gone, what we've journeyed through in this life? Why do we subject ourselves to that kind of diabolical, twisted experience? To surrender my life to the, the undeserved favor, the love of Jesus, I, I avoid the sin of comparison. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Stay in your lane. Number three, living in the light of grace means that I'll be more patient. Mm. It's an agricultural thing not a mechanical thing. Living in the undeserved favor means that I'm going to be more patient. We're in a hurry. I made this choice. I'm walking out the consequences. I want to be through it already. I want to be done already. Where's the part that I need to fix the broken thing? Are there any mechanics in the house? A few. When something's broken, what do you do as a mechanic? You find what's broken, you go to the supply shelf, you take the part, you bring it back, broken part out, new part in, fix it, good to go. Life isn't mechanical, people. Life is agricultural. Seed in the ground. Water the seed. Fertilize the seed. Water the seed. Wait. Wait some more. Pray for the seed. Hope that somehow magically underneath the ground that seed is actually germinating, putting down roots. I can't see the roots, but I hope they're there. I can't see it. Hasn't popped through the surface yet. Water some more. Pull the weeds. Life is agricultural. And when we're talking about. Living in faith, living in expectant hope of the purpose, the plans that God has for our life, in light of the choices we've made and the consequences we're walking out, it's agricultural. It's not mechanical. It's seed in the ground. Take time. Pray over that seed. Water that seed. Pull the weeds. Give it time to grow. And in due time, we will harvest what we've planted. It works both ways. Galatians 6, 7, whatever you plant is what you're going to reap. And, and if you're a season where you're reaping something you planted and you don't like what you're reaping, it's not a mechanical fix. It's an agricultural fix. It's going to be new seed in the ground, a new season of being patient, new season of waiting. And I believe that somehow, by the grace of God, that he, he can do a miracle. He can speed up time. He can make, it, make that new seed. I don't know how he does it. I've just seen him do it time and time again. When it comes to me reaping the stuff that I've done in the past, and God says, new seed in the ground, be patient, man. Come on, be, be patient, boy. Be patient, son. It's happening. I've seen that new seed take place and grow. Be patient. Keep sowing the right seeds. But whatever you do, don't stop watering the new seeds. And whatever you do, stop watering the old seeds. Stop looking in the past. Stop giving it your time. Dave Ingram, um, Dave and June started hanging out with us on Sundays, and I was hanging out with Dave on Tuesday night at Bromlets. What's Bromlets? you say? It's the greatest night of the month. It's where a bunch of dudes get together, crack eggs. Make gigantic omelets, and then eat them while we talk about cool stuff. And Dave and I were getting to know each other a little bit uh, Tuesday night at at our home. And Dave said this to me, and I loved it. Um, He said, Jono, I think it's this. We have to forget the past, but we have to remember the lesson. And I loved that. When it comes to the choices we've made and the things that we're harvesting now, forget the past. Just remember the lesson. Hang on to the learning. Hang on to the growth. But don't live under the weight of your past. Just remember the lesson. How do we water the past? How do we, how do we water the things that we, we shouldn't be watering? Well, we live in regret. We develop a victim mentality. We live defeated with our hands tied and we're crippled in this woe is me. That's actually all watering the past. Agriculture is all about seasons. Summer always turns into fall and always turns into winter and always turns into spring and always turns into summer. And what season are you in right now? That's what I want to know. There's a beautiful song written by uh, Benjamin Hastings, Ben Tan, and Chris Davenport out of Hillsong Church, and the lyrics say, I can see the promise. I can see the future. You're the God of seasons, and I'm just in the winter. If all I know of harvest is that it's worth my patience, then if you're not done working, God, well, I'm not done waiting. You can see my promise even in the winter because you're the God of greatness. Even in a manger for all I know of seasons is that you take your time. You could have saved us in a second, but instead you sent a child. Though the winter is long, even richer the harvest it brings. Though my waiting prolongs even greater, your promise for me like a seed I believe that my season will come. And when I finally see my tree, still I believe there's a season to come. Living in the light of grace means that I'll be more patient. It's an agricultural thing, not a mechanical thing. And lastly, when I avoid the sin of comparison, when I experience the gift of one another, when I tend to my crop, I do it in faith. I'll trust the process. I won't quit. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, so let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up, if we don't relent, if we don't quit. Right now, therefore, right now, in the waiting, right now, every time we get the chance, let's work for the benefit of community. Let's work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us. Stop comparing Run towards the gift of healthy and mature and life-giving and godly one another. Stop isolating yourself in your season. Be patient. This is just a season. We tend to take years getting ourselves into the messes that we are and then want God to magically transport us out in this instant. It's going to take some time. God can work. God can do miracles. God can speed things up. But it's going to take some time. Be patient. And then when God is with us through these seasons, we're going to see that tree come. We're going to see that, that seed break through the ground. We're going to have that, that moment of absolute clarity where we're like, yes, thank you, Jesus. Don't quit. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up, if we don't quit. If you believed that absolutely nothing could separate you from the love of God, how quickly would you process, how quickly would you choose to rest and live and abide in the light of God's undeserved favor? How quickly would you process the weight of the failure, the regret, the choices, and their consequences and choose to live in the light of God's grace? Because here's what I know. Our reality is us living in the perception of what is, what I've done becomes what I do, becomes who I am. That's a lie. My faith is me living in the perception of what will be, of what's yet to come. And today, faith sees the big picture. Faith sees the promise, faith sees the journey, faith sees the end. Someone created me, and that someone made me for a reason. Even though it's clear the past years have been treason, I still sense this drawing, this calling, that even in the midst of my falling, there's someone who died to pick me up, someone who rose to fix me up, someone who's coming back to lift me up, and that someone is Jesus. See, God made me for a purpose, and you, and when we delight in him, it's brought to the surface. Sometimes the season that we're in is a result of the environment. Sometimes the season that we're in is a result of a choice we've made. And it's coinciding consequences. But either way, Jesus is still the light of the world. Either way. So we abide in grace. We rest in grace. We live in the light of that undeserved favor. The undeserved favor of Jesus is the key for us walking in our purpose together. Abiding in grace means that I willingly surrender my life to the gift of one another. Abiding in grace means I choose to avoid the sin of comparison. Abiding in grace means that I'll be more patient. It's an agricultural thing, not a mechanical one. And when we avoid the sin of comparison, experience the gift of one another, and tend to our crops, we do it in faith. We trust the process. We won't quit. Amen? Enjoy your bugs. Let's pray. God, thank you for your church. Thank you for the gift of um, this book that so many of us know and love and read and prioritize. Words that were written centuries ago that still resound and still connect with our hearts today. God, we ask that what we've read today from Galatians 6 would help drive home the simple truth that you've invited us, every single one of us, to live our lives in the light of your undeserved favor. There isn't anything that can separate us from that love. There isn't anything that can distance us, pull us away, keep us held back. There's nothing. And so as a community, as a family today, despite maybe things that have gone on in our past choices, we've made good, bad, ugly, indifferent, anything in between. Despite the consequences of those actions, those choices that we're maybe walking out through e- even today, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is more than enough. Your undeserved favor calls to attention in all of our lives the ability to lean into the gift of one another, to have courage to stop comparing, God, to experience the fullness of resting in your undeserved favor. God, that's what we want. We want that in our lives today and every day. Eating bugs is gross, God. Regardless of how we've eaten them, Jesus, you're, you're the light. You're the light for every moment. You're the light for each one of our lives. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to today's message If you're ever in the Edmonton area, pop by for a visit. And if you need any more information, visit EvolveChurch.com. We hope to see you soon.